We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know what time it is now, right? It's mailbag time, baby, and we're kicking it off. I'll go ahead, and, Ryan. I'll go ahead and pull them up. You just okay. read them. So gotcha. That way, we can we can split it up a little bit. From John A. One, kicking us off today in 2021, Andrew Kristofik was able to come in midseason and greatly improve the pass protection. Balance is important, but if Kristofik is the choice, does the interior pass pro improve in 2023? I thought the interior pass pro was pretty good this year. Yeah, I think Josh Luggan and and Jarrett Patterson were both pretty good in pass protection this year. So I, I here's what I'll say to to your to your question, Ryan, and you tell me if you think this is fair. I don't think it improves sure. it, but what I think a return of of Andrew Kristofik does is I think what it does is help solidify it. So stabilize it, right, yeah. right, yeah. and make sure it doesn't take a step back. So if you look at the numbers from Pro Football Focus, and they're somewhat accurate, I think I think sometimes they miss on on things but it's it's close to accurate from what from my what my evaluation was is josh lug and jared patterson neither one of them gave up a sack this year and they only combined allowed three hits on the quarterback for comparison's sake jared patterson allowed nine quarterback pressures this year josh lug allowed 12 joe walt only allowed eight you know josh lug gave up the same number of hits and sacks on the quarterback that joe walt did now again he's going against interior guys i'm just making the point that they were pretty good there. The guy that had oh, yeah. the, the worst numbers, and I, I think this also is, is backed up by film, was Blake Fisher, who gave up some sacks early. I think they, they have him down for five sacks given up. I think there's at least one or two that I can think of that were more on he was expecting a chip from the back and never got it. Sure. And and uh, or a tight end and never got it. But you know, and he got a lot better as the season wore on too. But I think the interior of the of the of the line was pretty good. Zeke Carell gave up one sack and four hits on the quarterback. And and a lot of that was, a lot of that was early, to be honest with you. So his one sack, I think, was was against Navy, but his yeah. hits hits and pre- a lot of his hits and pressures were early in the season. So I actually think the interior of the of the line was pretty good. It was pretty and, good. But I, and I think to John's points, I think it will continue to get to be stabilized. I think that was right. a good way to put it, right? right. Because you had this year 
Josh Lug has played offensive tackle in his Notre Dame career, right? So he's pretty comfortable in pass protection, especially when you are playing in more condensed areas. Jared Patterson began his career as a backup left tackle at Notre Dame, right? So he has an offensive tackle background. And I think Andrew Gustavik's the same way. He was a former offensive tackle recruit. He's used to being on an island. So those types, that's why people always ask, what, why does, you know, Harry he stand and, you know, typically like to look at offensive tackle types and then maybe project them inside at points in their career. Right. And that's why I think it's the comfortability in pass protection, as well as longer bodies equal more mass potentially to get on a frame as well too. Right. So I think when you look at an Andrew Christophic, I think he continues the trend, John of, Jared Patterson has an offensive tackle background, although early in his career. You have a Josh Lug that has an offensive tackle background throughout his Notre Dame career. And then you're going to have, if Andrew Christophic wins a starting job next year, you're going to have another kid that has an offensive tackle background. Mm -hmm. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Brian, I I look at it as well too to, to this part of it is is that I think neat, my concern would be is if Jared Patterson was like a mover in the run game, and Kristoff comes in and he's not a mover, I don't know if he'll be as he won't be as good as Jared Patterson, but it's just not a big drop off in yeah. my opinion is the key. And then the other thing too is uh, to back up what I had said about Zeke Carell, Zeke Carell in the season, according to Pro Football Focus, gave up uh, thirteen pass uh, pressures and eight hurt including eight hurries but he gave up 14 13 total pressures on the season which is a not an ideal number for a center but but good it's good it's just not it's, it's not one again it's one again right yeah but exactly. he gave up six of those in the first four games mm-hmm. and in the last nine games he only gave up seven so he he improved this is what we had talked about before he improved a lot yes. as the season went on in pass protection he really did he, he, he really did. So uh, I, I you know, it just kind of backs up kind of what you and I talked about, Ryan, that he got a lot better as the year went on. So I, I think if, if Christophic is the starter, you feel comfortable with that, those two guys. 
And if he gets beat out by somebody, then you're like, that person had to be pretty good. That's what we've said. If someone else is going to beat out Andrew Christophic, that means you, you that guy's pretty good. And exactly. Harry Heastan feels because Harry Heastan likes playing veterans. And in order to beat out a veteran, you got to be definitely better than he is. Now he'll play a guy who's definitely better. We've seen that. Because that's but, best man wins, but it's also creating great depth, right? I mean, I think about it. There was one game this year, I forget which one it was, where Jared Patterson got banged up and Andrew Gustafa comes off the bench, right? It's like kids played football. You feel comfortable with that, right? It's not like a kid's getting thrown in there that has never played a snap of Notre Dame as a backup. That's one – I talked about this this past offseason. That was a blessing of disguise in 2021 was the fact that, yes, there were injuries on the offensive line. It probably stunted some growth for us from early on for like a guy like Blake Fisher – but you created some depth coming into this season. You did. And guys like Andrew Gustafic got an opportunity, and you felt comfortable that if one of the guards did go down, that Andrew could come in and he could right the ship. He could keep right. it afloat. He wouldn't just flounder. So right. I think that Andrew Gustafic is a good football player. I think at worst he presents a lot of swing ability inside. And to your point, if he gets beat out because, again, I, I, I don't think everyone gives Gustafic enough credit sometimes. that He's a talented kid. He's a talented yeah. kid. Maybe he hasn't quite gotten to where we thought he could potentially get to when he first came out of Pine Richland, but he's a good football player, man. Well, the thing with Christophe for me is why I'm not ready to just assume he's going to get beat out by some younger player is I've said this before. I'll stick with it. He was a guy that needed a push and Jeff Quinn wasn't a pusher. I'm not even like, well, probably a good thing. Jeff Quinn wasn't a guy that really kicked guys in the butt a lot. And that's not a knock on Jeff Quinn. It's just a different coaching style. And it worked right. for some guys. It worked for Jared Patterson, right? Well, Jared Patterson played well for the most part under under uh, under him. But for me, Christophic's one of those guys who just wasn't a natural, just mm, guy. Smaller, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that he needed a guy like Coach Eastan. So my my kind of what I'm looking to see is does does that ever was it did Harry get in too late with him to get that out of him? Or now that we're going into year two and Andrew's like, hey, you know, because because in reality, here's the thing about Andrew Kostovic, though, is he still has two years left technically. Yep. So if he steps up and, and plays to his potential, he can maybe go to the NFL. They could also come back for another year because M&Z Carell technically can come back in 2024 as sixth year seniors because of COVID. Right. And so that's something to consider as well. Does that extra time with Coach Eastan get out of Andrew what I think has not been brought out yet? I think there's another – I don't think Andrew Kostovic is who he is, which is not normal for a senior. Right. But that's kind of the reality of the fact that you didn't have a great coaching before, and now you do. There is going to be more veterans taking that leap than we've seen in the past. Right. And that's why I think with, with Zeke Carell to a degree, but also with Andrew Kostovic, because I think Zeke's jump kind of happened during the year. I think his improvement happened during the year. And and Andrew's, you know, hopefully comes this offseason. And if it does, Notre Dame's going to be in, in pretty good shape there. Absolutely. Good question, John. We had a super chat from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. Thank you, Charlie. Love seeing Notre Dame hunting in the portal. Do you expect any other portal ads? I love that Freeman gets it, sees the reality unlike the previous coach. I don't think Brian Kelly would have completely ignored the portal the way that it is now. Look, the the portal reality is 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 new. It it, it wasn't like this under Brian Kelly. And it's becoming a necessity. Very yeah, quickly. and and it wasn't yeah. that way for Kelly. So look, I, I'm I'm all for being critical of Kelly for things he did, but this isn't really one that I'm going to hammer Kelly for. 
because they did a decent job with grad transfers, in my opinion, and, and, and a couple undergrads. I mean, you go back to Cody Riggs, just off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of some guys that, that, that came in, but like Cody Riggs. He's a good player, player man. Yeah. I like Cody Riggs. And, yeah. and remember, that ended up being huge, too, because he came in the year 2014, uh, or he or was it 20, yeah, 2014, where I'm trying to remember. Uh, it was That was the year that Kavari Russell got suspended. And so had Cody Riggs not showed up and him and Cole Luke proved to be a pretty good corner rotation until late in the year when Cody got hurt. I remember he had that foot injury. So he like, he didn't, I don't think he played against USC, but he missed some games late, but him and Cole Luke proved to be a pretty good corner tandem. Cole Luke was really good that first year under Van Gorder. And they just regressed every year because that's just what Van Gorder did with people is they regressed under him. But if you don't get Cody Riggs from Florida, that's a big loss. I mean, you're, that, that's yeah. a big hole. I mean, Alohi Gilman was an undergrad transfer. He was a really important player. I mean, he. I don't know if your defense. I don't know if you're a playoff team in 2018 without Alohi Gilman. I'm, I'm being. Sure. You say, well, one guy shouldn't make that. There's a couple games I can point to them. I don't know if you beat that team if Alohi Gilman's not your starting safety. And go to the Michigan game. Remember that big breakup he had on the tight end in the end zone. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Michigan ended up selling for a field goal on that drive. I believe. Yeah. And you know he he made the the Vanderbilt strip at the goal line. And he was a leader. He was he was without question the best, the, the emotional leader of that team, of that defense, in my opinion. Great and then, kid, of course, man. Ben Skoranek was a guy that they went out and I got. I was going to say 2020, transfer. Nick McLeod, too, right? Yeah, Nick McLeod in 2020, yeah. Jack Cohn in 2021. So the, the portal isn't today what it was under Brian Kelly. And... And Marcus Freeman's kind of doing what Brian Kelly did because this because of the school. Who are all all these kids they've got? They're all grad transfers. Yep. And he's not out there getting freshmen or sophomore. I mean, they've tried, but they haven't been able to get those guys. And I, you know, I look. Would they have Would they have landed the guys they got if Brian Kelly was here? That's debatable. Sure. But I don't want to hammer Kelly for something that that I I don't think is fair to hammer him for because the portal has changed dramatically since Brian Kelly left. I mean, it's just, open. just a year, man. It's changed yeah. so much. I mean, it's wild. Th- th- this existed his last year at Notre Dame, but it was just a different. Ant- it's just a di- this last calendar year is just it's turned into some monster that I that I with, with, with the NI- than, yeah with the NIL implications with the oh, transfer yeah. portal mix. That's like it's bolstered. Yeah. It's because now kids are understanding that like if I leave, I might be able to get a payday at a different school, right? right. Like that's kind of what's happened. So right. So yeah, I I don't I don't want to. I don't want to hammer Kelly for that one because I don't think that's fair. Now, would he have screwed it up? Maybe, but I don't know. We don't know how Kelly would have handled it. I know, all I know is at LSU, he's hitting the portal hard. Yes, he is. Now, he would have had to do it differently at Notre Dame. But I just, like, look, it's, Ryan, everybody knows I don't like Brian Kelly, personally. <laughs> but what I don't want to do is just be that show that hammers him just because. If we're going to hammer him, it's because it's something that we legitimately believe was a reason. And I just don't think that... Because the type of transfers he would have had to get at Notre Dame during his tenure, they weren't getting them not because he didn't want them, because the school wouldn't bring them in. For sure. And Marcus Freeman's dealing with that same battle. And the guys he got this offseason are all grad transfers, and that's something Brian – I mean, Notre Dame got a grad transfer quarterback two years ago. I mean, that's not a new thing. Now, I don't know if they would have got someone as good as Sam Hartman this year if Brian goes here. That's an unknown. I have my doubts, but that's a different conversation for a different day. They've gotten transfer DBs before, grad DBs before. Cody Riggs, Nick McLeod, as you mentioned, they've gotten graduate. Uh, they've gotten graduate defensive linemen under him, right? I mean, we, we've seen that before. So, I just don't want to. 
I don't want to hammer them just to hammer them, but right. You know, well, there's you, plenty of think, things to hammer them for that we don't need to make like, you know, for that. Go ahead, Rye. For sure. I mean, for, for Charlie, for the first part of Charlie's question though, I know that there's been, you know, some more wide receiver interest out there on the portal for Notre Dame. I know we've talked about maybe an interior defensive lineman. Do you think that there's other guys? Well, not other guys, but do you think that they'll still be active, I guess, moving in forward in the portal? Say that last part again. Do you think they'll still be active trying to continue to, to recruit the portal? Yeah, I think forward? they're going to continue to recruit the portal like this. Yes. Find that piece that we're missing and supplement. Marcus Freeman has said before, we are going to be a high school dominant team high school recruiting dominant team that's partly his strategy he wants guys that are buying in he it's also part reality of we forget the whole trouble of getting kids into school part even if the school lowers its its standards which they need to do you're still going to have a hard time getting the high impact players from you're you're still going to have a hard time from getting Anthony Lucas because the same things that va- mattered to him going to Texas A&M and why he picked Texas A&M are the same reasons he's picking USC and their name's not going to change that nor should they. And exactly. I love the fact that I was told very early on from multiple sources very close to the in the inside the program that when it comes to this quarterback transfer when the window opens up and these kids jump in and we start talking to them we're going to tell them right away NIL is not something we're going to discuss with you. We'll tell you how our NIL program works, but we're not going to have conversations about what you want, because if that's what's going to factor into your decision to come here, then that's not a fit for us. And from what I was told is, is once they started having conversations with Sam Hartman, when he got in the portal, it was something where it wasn't something he was talking about. And it was Notre Dame made their case and said, Hey, this is not going to be a conversation. Sam Hartman was like, that's not why I'm leaving. I'm not leaving Wake Forest for a payday. I'm trying to win a championship, and I'm trying to go somewhere that I can develop my game and get ready for the next level because his payday is going to be in the National Football League is what he's looking for. And so you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna need to continue to find guys like that. right? Like, like Jean-Baptiste has got his own NIL stuff going on. He does like – he's like a – he on his Twitter, you see social media influencer, right? Like he's got these different – He's got like a like, video game thing yeah. going on. And, and yeah, some, yeah, like, some energy drink thing he's got, <laughs> you know, so he's doing his own thing wherever he goes. And, and I love that. And that's so why he's, he's like doing it. The, fit at Notre Dame. Wait, kids do it the right way. Yeah. That all about imagine that, right? Hangouts? Imagine wow, that. Crazy. Yeah. Imagine that. Well, I mean, we never even talked about that as much, Brian, but it's like, you don't think Sam Hartman could have gotten a nice upfront payday right. by a team exactly. in the portal. Like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So to me, Ryan, I, I think they're going to always look for those kind of kids because those kids are going to come in with a little bit more buy-in. And I think exactly. that's the lesson that Notre Dame learned a little bit with some other transfers is was the buy-in really there? And and so I think that and I think they're also going to err on the side of if we're going to bring a kid in, he better be at a position where we we need an, another body or he's got to be significantly better than the kids we have. So yeah. you're not going to see the Caden Maddens anymore. Like guard, here's a here's an example. I've been told on good authority that Notre Dame has been evaluating guards in the portal because if there's a guy that's significantly better than the guys they have they'll talk to him the problem is those guys just aren't there right now and so because they like what they have so every staff should be looking at the portals like is there a guy that's just better than what we have like you've heard me say this right ryan i'm not really a guy that feels they need to go into the portal for another receiver 
But if J. Michael Sturdivant wanted to come, I'd be interested <laughs> right. in him. You know For what I sure. mean? Because yep. he is a kid that, to me, is in that upper echelon of talent relative to what's on the roster. That's and why bring something different. Of, right. Bring something different. And he's got yeah. some experience. He's got you know another year of eligibility left. And that's why I wasn't super thrilled about C.J. Williams, because I don't know that C.J. Williams brings something that you don't already have. 100%. And, and Michael J. Michael Sturdivant, too, brings a different style. He is a fast, vertical player. They don't really have a lot of that on the roster right now, out other than the freshman. Yes. You know, like Braylon, he's a he's a three years older than Braylon, Braylon James, is what I think J. Michael Sturdivant is. Is that a fair comparison? It is. It's very he's fair. what I hope Braylon James is in three years, but I don't think Braylon James is going to be that guy on the level of J. Michael Sturdivant as a freshman. And so that's why you'd look at him. He ended yeah. up committing to UCLA. Somebody put in the chat. So that's a nice pickup for UCLA. Really nice pickup for UCLA. And would explain to you why they weren't looking at Caleb Williams either. Because you know who else made that decision? UCLA. And if you don't know this, if you're not on the message board, we did put this on the message board a couple days ago when we put the CJ Williams stuff out is, you know, Notre Dame was on him, but I don't know that there was a complete push for him. I don't think the staff really made the charge for him that Wisconsin did because I don't think they saw the value in him the way Wisconsin did. But UCLA didn't want him. They didn't push for him. And I think that speaks volumes. A that, Cali kid? That yeah, because he'd exactly. have gone there in a heartbeat from what I'm told. But why did they not go after him? This is right here because J. Michael Servant's a better player. And that's more of what they were looking for. And so, uh, you know, I, I do think, Ryan, that the portal will continue to be something that the Notre Dame coaching staff pushes for in my opinion yeah. they're just going to have to be smart about it that's the reality that's the reality of it ryan and, and if they if they sat back and didn't do their homework constantly i would have my i would have some yeah. some question marks to me right because i think that the best coaches and the best programs are going to be constantly evaluating Always. where can i get better where can i get better yes. and if you're not you're falling behind and opinion. i like the fact that what i have not heard from this staff is honestly, I've not heard a lot of complaining when I've talked to different to coaches or sources or whatever. I don't hear the same complaining about how, oh, well, we can't do this, we can't do that. They've made their statement. We wish that it was this way, but right now that's not that way. I'll fight my battles behind the scenes, but I'm not going to go complaining to reporters and other people about how woe was us. We're gonna. This is the rules that we can we can work with. Let's go find the best possible players we can within that framework. Yep. And I love that. So let let me explain this to you too, Ryan. Not to you, Ryan, but you know this to to everybody out there. This staff has evaluated a lot, a <laughs> lot of transfer kids. And there was one of the questions in the chat was, why are they so much more secretive with this than they are high school recruiting? Number one, because it's a much shorter window. Yes, You don't necessarily want a bunch of stuff to get out there. You don't want everyone to know every DM that you've talked to, because then it looks like if you're trying to tell this kid, hey, you're our number one guy, and then people find out we're talking to eight other DNs, then it's kind of like, well, even though you're not being dishonest with this kid, he is your number one guy. It's going to come across like you're talking to all these other quarterbacks or defensive ends. And so it could hurt you. And since it is such a small window, it's like, look, just keep this to yourself. This is what we're working on and we're hoping to close on it. And and that's the reality of it. So it, it actually makes some sense to me to kind of keep that. But And then look what happened when, with Braden Fisk. Right. Like that got out there right away. And all of a sudden everybody knew, okay, if we want to beat Notre Dame, this is what we got to do to get them, you know? And, uh, and it, it, it was one of the factors, not the only factors, one of the factors that, that I think kind of led to him. Now that wasn't on the staff. He was putting that out there. He was doing it. Yes. People. yes. Right. 
Yep. So uh, that's kind of why they've tried to keep this stuff a lot closer to the vest with it. Because Notre Dame got on fist quick, man. Yeah. Florida State wasn't one of the first guys on there, and it just that's just how it happens. Yeah, right. To your point, right. We had a question from Tyler Evans, super chat. Thank you so much for that, Tyler. With Garrett Riley going to Clemson, how do you think he will fare? And was this a good hire? And I can't wait for Notre Dame to play Clemson next year. Ryan, you want to? I'll say I, I think this is a great hire. Now, it's a great couple, hire. Couple yes. things for me. Yeah. Number one, I don't think Garrett Riley was the end all be all designer decision maker of the offense at TCU. Sonny Dykes is an offensive mind and he's very involved in the offense, but he was the true offensive coordinator there. He's a guy that Sonny Dykes took with him from SMU. So clearly Sonny Dykes thinks highly of this guy, of this kid, because he brought him from TCU at a very young age, gave him the same responsibilities at TCU that he had at SMU. And obviously, you know, he's, he's Lincoln Riley's younger brother. So he's going to get a little bit more pub because of that. But I think he did a great job this year, Ryan. I, I really, I really do. I thought he called a good game in the title game. I didn't love his game plan there, but it was good. There was a lot of missed opportunities, and their quarterback was just couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. And there's not a lot of things in your tool belt that you can go to when you your quarterback's unwilling to pull the trigger and inaccurate. I mean, you just we've talked about that with Tom Reese. That applies to other guys as well. It's not just defending Tom Reese because he's a Notre Dame guy or because I like him or whatever the case may be. It's just the reality. As someone who's had to be responsible for calling plays and calling pass plays, especially as a pass game coordinator, when you know your quarterback can't read this or is is, is not handling the pressure well or, or isn't setting this and just can't complete a pass, you're like, I don't really know what to call right here because I don't think he can complete these these three calls right here would kill this defense. But he won't throw the ball. He, he And if he does, he's going to miss. You know, so like that post route to Quint, Quentin Johnston. That was a great play design. They moved him inside. He's primarily an outside guy. Got him ISOed on a safety and, and, and had the backside defensive backs did exactly what you want. I mean, everything went according to plan for what should have been a home run when the game was 17 to 7. And Max Dugan missed that ball as bad as you can miss that ball. Mm-hmm. That ball should have been out over top of the, of the near seam. And he threw a pick on the backside seam. I don't know what he was doing. What is a coordinator supposed to do there, right? I mean, you, you yeah. know what I mean? So, but by and large, I, I liked what he did. I don't think he's like this elite guy. Like he, his offenses aren't as good as what his brother's offenses were, like East Carolina, in my view. But he's really good. And and not only that, but the floor there was already really low. I I have not, Ryan, we've talked about this. I have not liked Clemson's scheme for years. Yeah. It's it even when Tony was there and they're putting up 40 some points again, they were putting those points up because they had elite Dude. skill talent and they were playing in a crap conference. But they'd still score in the postseason because they had a generational player quarterback, one of the best running backs in the game, elite big time receivers, and they just got by with just being better than everybody else. And they had an elite defense with Venables there. And yep. so they could take some chances that they can't take now. And so the scheme I haven't liked for years, and Brandon Streeter didn't do much to make it better. It was a little better this year than it was last year, because, but it wasn't much better. And so now you're getting a guy that is a good young offensive coordinator. Is he elite? Not yet, but he's a good young offensive coordinator. And here's the biggest thing. His system is perfect for yep. Kay Klubnik. It is. I agree. And you know what else too, Brian? I think that this is a big – golf clap for Dabo Sweeney because for the longest time 
He had consistency at the coordinators. You know, you talk about Tony Elliott. You talk about Brett Venables. He had those guys consistently. And, and, and Elliott and Jeff Scott were groomed by Chad Morris. Yes. So then he yep. left for head coaching job. There was that natural consistency. So that even leads to the consistency part. I just wanted to add that yep. part real quick, too. No doubt. No doubt. But then you get into a situation where you have to abandon that formula because they leave, right? Tony Elliott's going to Virginia. I think that that was addition by subtraction, if I'm being completely honest about and, that and, one. And, and kind of a, this may be the year you want to take in a head coach. Yes, From what I'm exactly. told, that conversation happened. You know, yes. like, yeah, this might be because Tony Elliott turned down head coaching jobs before. Mm-hmm. Uh, this may be the year you want to take that job. So, and so, that. yeah, no, no. But then you, so Elliott's out. Brian Venables obviously goes to Oklahoma. And for the first time in a long time, Dabo Sweeney has to figure out what the next step of offensive and defensive coordinator is, right? And he hires from within. He brings up a couple of his guys. And first year, doesn't really pan out that well. You know, I didn't. I wasn't really thrilled by what Brandon Schreeder did. I wasn't thrilled by what, what Wes Goodwin did on the defensive side of the football. But I give Dabo a lot of credit. He ejected quickly and said, you know what? That wasn't a great hire. That's not good enough for Clemson. That's not good enough for what we need to do offensively moving forward. So you make this switch very quickly. So I think that that's what great coaches do, though, man. When you figure out that you made a not a great hire, go out and make a good one, right? Like you you eject as quick as possible. And I think that it's going to be a good fit for Klubnik, this offense. I agree. I think that what you saw Kendra Miller doing also in the backfield this year. I mean, I'm envisioning Will Shipley being used in a similar fashion, which should be Interesting. So I think you upgraded the offensive coordinator position. You got a young guy that I think does have some innovation to him with how he does things. And I think that it's a, again, a golf clap to Dabo for understanding that like, Hey man, can't stick to what's just happening right now. We got to make some moves here to get, try to get back to the top. And and Ryan, the thing is Dabo's a very loyal guy, very loyal guy Mm -hmm. to a fault at times. And I think the fault is the staff he put together. I think six or seven of the 10 assistants are guys that he either has coached in the past uh, that were at Clemson were Clemson or, or were young coaches. Like, like, so Brandon Streeter played at Clemson, but that was before Dabo was the head coach there or was coaching there, but he got his GA start at Clemson when Dabo was a position coach and he's a Clemson alum. And there was a sense of, and Brandon Streeter had been loyal to him and he'd been an assistant coach under him and all that. And that's why he promoted him. Same with the old line coach. Same with Wes Goodwin. There was a sense of loyalty to where I'm going to bring in, you know, the running back coach is, is CJ Spiller. There's a lot of former players. And then the linebacker coach, the co-DC, is, I, I believe, was a teammate of Dabo's at Alabama, I believe. And so for him to make this kind of move, I promise you it was not easy for Dabo. I promise you it was not easy to just go. Because sometimes you hire a guy, you don't really know him, but he interviews well, and he doesn't do a good job. It's it's a lot easier to fire that guy, to be completely honest with you. Sure. But, you know, Dabo has known Brandon Streeter for over a decade. He knows his, he knows his wife. He knows his kids. He knows all those type of things. That's the hardest hire, fire, hiring firings to make. But he did it because that's what was needed to be done. Because at the end of the day, it's about your job is to win, and your job is to do right by the kids by giving them the best – tools and resources they can to be successful. And the reality is the offense was again held back this year by the coaching, not as much as last year, yeah. but it was held back again by the coaching. And, you know, Notre Dame, we talk about how Notre Dame went nine and four this year with a backup quarterback. Well, TC went to the national championship game with a, technically with a backup quarterback. Now it's not the same 
It's not apples to apples, can, you know, thing because Max Dugan's been a multi-year starter beforehand. But the point is, that's not the guy that won starting job coming out of fall camp. Sure. And I think that was a really good job by them. Now, the concern is, okay, but you couldn't get him out of his funk at the end of the season. And I think part of that is Max Dugan was just tapped out. I just don't – I, I don't think spent, anything man. left. I think he was spent. Yeah, because that yeah. kid played his butt off all year. Remember and, that kid – the- the Big 12 championship game, man. Like, that kid was spent. Oh, God. I mean, they're having to, like, pick him up off the ground, and then they're calling another quarterback run play the next play, and he's running. I mean, it's just the kid gave you everything he had, and I just I just think that's kind of who he was, you know, because I would say, well, maybe he got more out of him earlier than he was capable of. That's the other thing, and then people got more film on him. So I like the hire. I do, and I think this is going to be great for Kate Klubnik. Now, is this automatically, okay, Clemson's back to – you know, oh, Clemson's back. No, no, they're not. <laughs> Because their defense is still a concern, but he doesn't. Ha- he's not walking into the same talent that that they had four, five, six years ago. There's no Mike Williams on their roster. No. There's no T. Higgins. There's no Justin Ross. There's no Hunter Renfro. There's no Travis Etienne. With all due respect to Will Shipley, he's not Travis Etienne. Different type of player. Mm-hmm. So I will say this: I think he's got a little bit more talent up front than they had back then. I actually do think Clemson has decent talent up front, Ryan. They just didn't play well all the time. There's decent talent there. He's going to have a great quarterback for college, but he's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Deshaun Watson, right? So they're not back per se, but this moves them a step closer. This could be the thing that holds off Florida State and NC State and North Carolina and Miami and all those teams in the ACC that are trying to ascend. This is a move that kind of stops the slide. What I don't know is if this then move starts moving the needle forward again. That's what I don't know. And I think in order to do that, he's got to make a similar change on the other side of the ball. So, yeah, that's a that's a very interesting one. We'll get back. We have some more Super Chats. We're going to get to those here in a little bit. Let's get to some of these other ones here, Ryan. We had John A1 ask, is having a drop defensive end, the Viper Notre Dame system, a must in modern college defenses? Brian, if, if I could hit this one. John, I, I – is it a must? I, I don't think that every scheme is the same, right? And you see three, three, five systems now kind of popping up all over the place. They don't have a drop end in that system technically, right? They have three linebackers in that regard. But I do think that if you are a four-man team, it is beneficial to have the ability to drop that end a lot because there's a different looks that you can give out of it, right? And I think that you see a lot of quarterbacks that make some bad decisions in short zone coverage at times where that defensive end is just going to drop into that, you know, that hook curl or curl flat zone where it turns up to be a bad play, a tip pass, an interception, whatever it is. So I think if you're a four man front, it's very useful. It is just for, you know, just the ability to come with different pressure situations, drop guys into different zones to kind of confuse a quarterback, especially. But with teams moving to more three man fronts, I don't think it's. It's, a, it's not as important in that system, in my opinion, but in a four-man front, I do think it's very beneficial. I do. I don't think there's anything like this structurally that is a must mm-hmm. with every team. But I think there are things that it would probably be a good idea to have something like this, whether it's a a pure end or at least a a a package where you can get to that. You know, where a situational package, you can get to that in third down or something like that. But I think it's beneficial. I think there's a need for it, whether you're going to go to a 3-3-5 or 4-2-5 or a 3-4 like Georgia. I mean, Georgia's ends drop, not a ton. They don't do a, a, a 
like they don't they drop about as much as the Viper did this year. You know, I mean, if, if you look at the numbers, but no, nah, it, it's something, Ryan, where it's nice to have, but it's not something that you absolutely must have, right. in my I, opinion. I think it's beneficial for defensive coordinators because then you can yeah. give a, another different look. But, right. you know, to your I, point, I think it's and, beneficial. Yeah. I just don't think there, yeah. it's a must. No, you don't need it. I just think it you depends don't. on what you do, right? I mean, because if, like, you say that's a must, but, like, I, I would make the case that, you know what, like, yeah, Will Anderson can drop into coverage. He can. Yeah. But why? Why would you ever do that? Yeah. You know, right. like, oh, you know, because <laughs> if you look at Alabama this year, um, I'm, let me find the numbers here real quick, because um, he was he dropped into coverage 27 times this year. I'm like, OK, it's about two a game. OK, maybe that might be one more per game than I would I would have him do, <laughs> you know, but but they did less of that this year. He dropped into coverage 58 times last year. Right. And and so this year he dropped into coverage 65 times. Now, he didn't play as much as many snaps this year either. He played 685, partly because they didn't play as many games. Mm-hmm. But he played about 200 fewer snaps than he played last year. And, and so the production he had. But it's just kind of like that's a tough decision to say, let's take the best pass rusher in college football and drop him into coverage. But if you have a if you have a blitz package, however, that you think we can get home, we know we can get home on this once, maybe twice. So you pick your spots where the other team is like, gee, I think this is a big down where Will's going to get us. And you run some sort of zone fire, Ryan, where you're like, we're, we know in this third and five, they're going to slide here. So we're going to, we're going to run this type of stunt where we actually, we actually slide into their slide, drop Will into coverage, bring a double fire off the other side. And we feel like we can get home on that. We can't get home on that every time because eventually they'll adjust, but we think, you know, that's what decor. I got that in my back pocket that in this situation, based off scouting, that we think we can run this zone fire and use Will as a decoy. It's no different than if you're like you're using a receiver, a big time receiver as a decoy. You better not do it too much, but there's merit to it. So, but it's man, it's a tough decision to say, let's not have that guy rush the passer. If you don't have mm-hmm. that kind of guy, then I think you'd be kind of foolish to not have that in your package. Agreed. And, you know, like, like for example, Notre Dame used Dalen Hayes to drop into coverage a lot more than they asked Julian Ekwar to drop into coverage. Why? He's a lot better at it. Yes. And he wasn't as good of a pass rusher as Julian was. So that's the other thing, too, is know your personnel, right? And, and you know, that's that's what uh, that's what I think on that one, Ryan. So very it's really starting off with some good questions today so far, Ryan. Yep. We have another super chat from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. Charlie, thank you again. Mailbag, if Pete Carroll never left USC, do you think he could have made it to a it's a powerhouse after the punishment, or do you think it was already done? I think it was already done. Yeah, it, it was definitely they, trending in a bad they'd direction. They'd have got hammered. They'd have got yeah. so hammered. Part of the thing with USC and their, the, the stuff that happened to them is they, my understanding is they were a little lighter from a punishment standpoint on USC because Pete left. Had he stayed, they'd have got hammered, right? And so, and they were like you said, Ryan. They were already trending down. Yeah, they, they the were, you know, a little bit. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't the same guy. I mean, and that was true at the end of Lou Holtz's tenure at Notre Dame too. Like there are just other things were kind of taking him in different directions. You know, there's some other things I can't mention, but some personal things that were kind of going on. You know, that maybe he's a little bit more distracted now than he was before, but. You know, they went 12 and one the year before he he left, but in his but even then, Ryan, that 2008 USC team, you watch the play and you're like, yeah, they won a bunch of games, but they weren't the same team that they were before. Mm-hmm. They just 
you could see it kind of, you know, not quite going in the direction that you want it to go. But that 0-9 team, it just the the bottom fell out a little bit, right? Yes. And you're talking about that night, they lost Arizona, they lost, they got beat by Stan. This is when you know it's over. <laughs> they got blown out twice that year. They Oregon beat them 47 to 20, and then Stanford beat them at home, at home, 55 to 21. And then two weeks later, three weeks later, but two games later, they lost at home to Arizona. Ugh. That's like, okay, right? And what's wild is that team that year beat Ohio State. You know, and that was the year that that's the year that they beat Notre Dame 34-27 and that big comeback from, you know, that Jimmy brought them all the way back, but you could just see with that team is they still had a lot of talent. That's why they won games. Right. But that wasn't a Not a great That team. wasn't a yeah, by the end of the year that team had just kind of lost. And there was all the investigation and all the rumors and stuff, but it was time it was time to move him for him to move on. Also, opinion. sometimes when you're the the premier program for a little bit too, you get a little bit of a target on your back too, right? And I mean, people are going to gun for you to try to counteract and to be the new top dog, right? Like I I think of like Alabama now with how Georgia kind of worked through things, right? Brian, now they've kind of succeeded them as the premier program in college football. And I mean, the negative from the national title game is that it wasn't a very competitive football game, obviously. But the one thing I'm interested in now is over the next few years, obviously I think Georgia is going to be a very good team over the next few years. But now Georgia is the team that has that bullseye on their back. That's the team that you know I have to go beat that, right? I need to formulate a team that can go into Athens or a neutral site, wherever, and beat that type of football team. So I think at some point, you know, the windows run their course a little bit as well. You know, you kind of reach the end of a window. You had a great run, obviously, and that's what Pete Carroll had at USC. But I do think that eventually that downtrend comes for guys. Like, you're not just going to be that dominant forever. Like, that's just a very hard thing to maintain. All right, next question, Ryan. We're going to get down to we've got another Super Chat here from Tyler Evans. From Tyler Evans, thank you for the Super Chat. Oklahoma and Florida, which school cannot afford another 6-7 and seven season, in your opinion? I think it's Florida, actually. Yeah. I don't – yeah. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no – look, Oklahoma fans aren't exactly a patient group, nor should they be. You're sure. Oklahoma. You're in the playoff three, four years ago. But Florida – I mean, look. Dan Mullen got fired a year after playing in the SEC championship back-to-back years and was the only team that came within even a whisper of beating Alabama that year. Like the only team that played Alabama tough that year was Florida. Kyle Trask was a Heisman Trophy contender for a bunch of the years. Before the next season was even about more than halfway through, he was done. So they'll give you a one-year mulligan. And if you don't build on it quick, you're going to be in trouble. And yes. this whole thing with Jaden Rashada, which we have a question about that, let's just bring that up now, Ryan, because I do think okay. that's relevant. Sure. But, um, well, let me just finish this point because I don't want to go away from Tyler's question. But do you have a, a, a more thought on explaining why you think it's Florida? I just think it's SEC fans are just not at all patient or realistic. Not not at all patience. Yeah. And I actually just talked with this about uh, to a buddy about this, I think yesterday, the day before. But even on top of the Rashada saga that's happening, you're seeing a lot of kids transfer out of yeah. Florida this offseason as well. So I just I liked the Billy Napier hire at first. I thought that that had potential to be a good one. But I think that there's uh, and this is just my assumption because I'm looking at the transfer portal numbers that there's a lack of buy-in in that program as well. So right. if you're not winning football games and there's a lack of buy-in, I just don't see you lasting that much longer. Right. 
Well, and the other thing too is I, I don't think they recruited the level they're used to. And they had the eleventh yeah. ranked class on two four seven, which is it's a solid class. It's yeah. a solid class. It's not a great class, but they didn't get any. I mean, so if you look at it, they're the, the Notre Dame and Florida, are the two teams in the top fifteen that didn't get a five star player. But Notre Dame's ranked three spots ahead of them. I think Notre Dame's class is significantly better than Florida's class. But they missed out on a lot of their top targets. They it's a good class. Don't get me wrong, it's a good class, but it wasn't like an elite class. Cordick talking to Brian Smith, there were some unforced errors from the staff with how they handled in-state kids and things like that. They, they proved problematic. So they didn't necessarily build up the trust or the cool relationship with like one thing Matt Rule did, for example, when he got the Texas, he hired assistant coaches that were had Texas ties or were former high school Texas coaches. Like one of the best things he did when he got down there was doing that. Because he's like, look, if we're going to win here, we've got to recruit the state of Texas. Billy Napier and his staff did not do that. And let's be honest, high school coaches, even not good ones, that have elite players, want to have their own ego stroked. This is one of those professions, Ryan, where even people that suck have egos like they're the greatest. I mean, you've seen it. And and I, I, I've i seen it a ton, obviously, being in it. I mean, I've, I've gone against D3 coaches. I'm like, dude, you're not even good at this level. We're at the, literally the bottom of college football, and and you suck at it. And you walk around like you're this dude. like. But it's just the nature of what it, what this profession attracts, mm-hmm. right? And that's true in high school. It's true in, I mean, I can't speak to Pop Warner because I never played Pop Warner football. But it was true at high school coaching everywhere I've ever been. And so – you go into a state, Ryan, and you don't give them love as a as an in-state coach. Like if if Marcus Freeman came to Indiana and just ignored Indian high school football coaches, they'd be pissed. But it's like, who cares? You get like one kid from Indiana a year. You know what I mean? Like, but at Florida, at Texas, and schools like that, and you gotta you've got to be able to make those people happy. And he didn't do that early on. And so that that's a big unforced error from, from what I'm told by Brian Smith, who lives down there and talks to a lot of high school coaches. Right. So I, I just, I don't think he's necessarily done the job that a lot of people like Oklahoma's class is ranked fifth. I think it's overrated, like very overrated class. But when you have a number five class, it's going to keep people a little bit. It's going to let you do the whole, just wait till we get all of our players here thing It's going to go a little bit further. When you're recruiting the 11 to 13 class, it's like, uh, what players? Yeah. And then you're about, and here's the thing, when Rashada leaves, like, you know, well, now that Rashada's out of the class, I believe he's not listed. Yeah, he actually, he's still listed on there. He's still listed as a commit. When he leaves, that class is going to take a big hit. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Well, so, I, think, yeah. I, th- I think in comparison to Oklahoma as well, I mean, there was a little bit of a max exodus after Lincoln Riley mm-hmm. left too, right? So you need to, I mean, it's not like Brett Venables went into the best situation ever, right? Like it's going to take a couple years to rebuild that thing. I still don't think the team played particularly hard in a couple games, you know, during that season for, for on Oklahoma side of things. But I just think there's more buy-in from Oklahoma than there is from Florida right now. Like I just don't, I don't, I just don't see the buy-in from Florida. That's mainly the biggest point of it. And to your, to another great point by you is that they are not the most patient fan base, which right. I understand. I mean, they're Florida, right? Like you should expect to win. I get that. Right. But, right. Well, you know, and, and they've done okay in the transfer portal. They've done okay. They haven't done great. You know, they got a they got an offensive lineman from Baylor. They got a the Deuce Spurlock kid who's a linebacker from from Michigan who's just like, eh, you know, didn't really do a whole lot there. Taraja Mitchell from Ohio State, who just was kind of a guy at Ohio yeah. State. Cameron Jackson, who's a defensive lineman from Memphis, is is went there. You know, good good transfer. He's a, he's a big boy, man. Yeah. Yeah. Graham Mertz. And then Caleb Banks, who's a defensive lineman from Louisville, who's who's a good player. You know, then then you look at Oklahoma and you're like, dude, they're loading up on on portal kids. You know, they just got Andrew Anthony. They got that Rondell Boyth- Boythroyd kid from Wake Forest that everybody's all yep. fired up about. I didn't. I mean, he, whatever. He was I fine. wasn't. He was fine. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't necessarily in love with him. A lot of people were. Got Deshaun McCullough that a lot of people were fired up about. Got Jake Can, Lacey. can I, on, on boy on Boythroyd, I'd say that. Jean Baptiste is a better player than Boythroyd, in my opinion. The numbers aren't there, sure, but the film but tells me a some context story. to that. Yeah, right. Film that kid's not playing at Ohio State. He's not yeah. getting on the field at Ohio State. I agree with you. I feel the same way about Jack Sullivan. To be completely honest with you, from Purdue, yeah, yeah. The numbers aren't there because he didn't play as much. Sure, but yes, I would agree with you on that, Ryan. I would agree yeah. with you on that. I, I just would like to see what the production would be for like a Jean Baptiste if you dropped him on the right. Wake Forest, right, right? For instance, yeah, right. So that that's the thing is you look at they got Reggie Pearson from Texas Tech, Austin Stogner. They got him back, which I think is a very interesting thing. They got a, a, a defensive lineman, Davon Spears. Ryan, I don't know a lot about him, but he's rated high. He's considered a, you know, a, a good, highly ranked one of the highly ranked transfers from Texas State. So there, there's just a lot more buzz, and that buzz yes. can get you a little bit of a grace period. Like, let's be honest, Charlie Weiss gets fired after three and nine at a lot of SEC schools. Oh yeah, but yeah. at Notre Dame, like that success the first few years, it got him a little bit. Of, it got him three more years, right? Where the reason Ty got fired after year three is number one, Ty didn't work hard, and Charlie did. But number two, that can maybe be balanced by the fact that Ty was a good guy that people liked and respected, and Charlie was not necessarily that by all everybody. But it's Ty had one good year, and then phew, bottom fell out. Where Charlie had two really good years in a row. That's the yep. difference. But And that got that buy-in. So, you know, you've got to have some level of success, either on the field or recruiting. But you know what else helped Charlie keep that job for five years? He was bringing in highly ranked recruiting classes. Yes. The people say, just wait till Charlie's guys become – seniors or juniors and it just didn't pan out that way you know and so i think that's why there's a lot more excitement and buzz uh at o- oklahoma and um and, and they and they have uh the national player of the year a quarterback in their 2023 class so they have yeah. that going for them too yeah absolutely and, and, so and i'll say this too ryan 
Yeah. Oklahoma better figure it out real fast because my answer flips if we're talking about if we're having the same question a year from now. Because if they are, if they struggle again and then head into the SEC, yes, yes, that's going to be a problem. That's true. That's be a problem. Yep. yep, things are about to get a lot tougher yes. for Oklahoma here. Yes. <laughs> I want to bring up something here real quick uh, from Tyler Hanley. It says, "I'd be family. My my family could use some prayers. We lost my father unexpectedly yesterday morning. He and my mother took my brother and I to our first game. So hug." Uh, and love your family close. Hey, Tyler, man, I, I, buddy, I will be praying for you. I couldn't even imagine if I lost my dad right now, and and I'm forty something years old. So, um, man, I, I don't know what to say other than we love you and we're praying for you and your whole family, man. Just um, be strong and and uh, this football season is going to be tough for you. I'm just preparing you for that now from com- a lot of other conversations, but just try to prepare yourself to look at it as remembering the first time in a way where you remember. Not the loss, but the joy that you experienced with your dad in so many different ways, but especially with with Notre Dame football. So, um, man, we're we're praying for you, and we we appreciate you coming here to to let us know that. You know, obviously, you feel that this is a your IB family. That's it, right there, Ryan. And uh, man, we'll we'll be praying for you, buddy, for sure. A, a lot of people here will. So, as soon as this show's over, I'll, I'll definitely spend some time uh, in prayer for you, man. So, uh, you and your whole family. So, thank you for letting us know, Tyler. Thank you for letting us know. I want to get back to the mailbag, Ryan, with some uh, – we, we have a few, we have some other questions down here that I want to get to. We had a, a super chat here from John Banco that I wanted to get to. Yep. John, thank you for the question. Thank you for the super chat. Why did Oregon end up losing the two flips from Notre Dame, Dante and Peyton Bowen? Dante Moore and Peyton Bowen. Well, Peyton Bowen's situation is a little bit more cut and dry. He didn't want to go to Oregon. His dad pushed him to go to Oregon because they offered him a big deal. Yeah. But what we reported was accurate, right? And uh, Oklahoma is just, I think, kind of where he always wanted to go. My understanding is Oklahoma up their offer as well. But I think, I think he just played Notre Dame, right? Yeah. We gave him and the family the benefit of the doubt during the process. Lesson learned for us. Yes, And I think his mom was honest with us. She was clearly not happy about all this, but I think that Peyton was lying to people. I'm just going to come out and flat out say it. Peyton never told Notre Dame he had the concerns about going there that he did. Yep. They asked him. They at Many times they asked him, hey, man, like there's a lot of smoke here. Like We need to know what's going on. No, no, no. It's bull crap. It's BS. It's not, don't, that's a flat-out lie. Because yep. then when you commit to Oklahoma, you say, I've been thinking about this for a long time, you know? (laughs) So there's some lessons that we have to learn through this process too, to where Mm -hmm. we'll report what we're being told, but then maybe we'll take more of a, I believe it when I see it approach, which is unfair because not every family's that way. You know, when Jaden Greathouse took that visit to Texas, it was literally just to go with some teammates to a game and there was no recruitment that was followed up on it. Right. And, And kids should be allowed to have that freedom. But when a kid does it over and over and over, you say, I know what you're telling me, but I've been here, done that before. Yes. So I need to see it. And I just think he lied. And, and that may sound harsh to people. But, oh, you can't say that about why? Why? He's 18 years old. He lied. Why, why can't I say that? Why can't we people be accountable for that? I don't care where he goes to school. Just be a man about it and be honest about it. I'm not talking about a 13-year-old. I'm talking about an 18-year-old. Right? He lied. Many, many times. He lied. Over many, many months. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so it is what it is. 
the Dante thing I think is a little bit different. Um, Dante's thing is Dante really liked Kenny Dillingham and had a really good relationship with Kenny Dillingham. Now, do I think you now I know for a fact UCLA is not getting Dante if they didn't pony up. That's just that we that's a not a hidden thing in his recruitment. But he UCLA had been on him for a long time. Like even when he was committed to Notre Dame, UCLA was talking to him and on him and had come out to visit him. So there was a relationship there. And I think for Dante, he put a lot of value in the relationship with the coach that was going to be coaching him. His dad and his people around him were more of the ones that wanted the NIL. Now, Dante agreed to it. So I'm not saying Dante didn't care about NIL. He agreed to it. He allowed them to not manipulate, but to kind of steer his recruitment the way that it went. He allowed that. So when when that was a factor, but for Dante, when it came to picking which school was offering him NIL money, he put a lot of emphasis on my relationship with the people there. And when Kenny Dillingham left Oregon, that hurt them majorly. Yes. And I think it opened the door for UCLA to step in there. So I think because no matter who Oregon hired, that guy was not going to have the relationship with Dante that the UCLA staff did. That's really what it boils down to for me. So that's a more legitimate one for me is if Kenny Dillingham doesn't leave, Dante signs with Oregon, in my opinion. I I don't think there's any doubt, Ryan. I think so, too. Yeah, I think so, too. I will say this, though. I really do like Dante's skill set in the Chip Kelly offense, though. I think that's going to be really, really nice. Yes. He fits well. I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping for the best, man. He was phenomenal. Dante, I just, I, well, he's set to be thrive in those type of settings. I mean, Dante's built for those type of settings. I I need to see him do it on the field like I do with Kenny Minchie and every other quarterback in the country. But there's never been a doubt about the kid's talent. My question is is up here and, and, and right here. Those are my questions with Dante. But the, Talent is is outstanding. I mean, yep. there, there's no denying that. And I and to your point, I have a lot more faith that Chip Kelly is going to get him to be Plagio's potential than I do Oregon. Because here's the thing: Chip yes. Kelly's not going to stop running the football. Yeah, and and he also knows Dante's not a runner, so yep. you're going to ha- go to a system that's going to protect him a little bit more than an Oregon system that 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 will run the ball, but it's still going to put a lot on the shoulders of their quarterback. Yep, and if he and got so. If he got that much out of Dorian Thompson Robinson, I'm just very yes. curious to see how much he gets out of Dante. Yes. And Dante hey, probably is he has a good chance to start as a freshman, too. Yep. So yep. Here thing about Dante too is he's gonna play as a freshman there. Yep. yep. And and I think that's something he wanted. I, I I don't know. This one I don't know. This is an opinion. I don't think Bo Nix coming back helped Oregon's cause, to be honest with you. Dante wants to play as a freshman. That's True. one of the things a lot of people knew about his recruitment. That's one of the things that like, so I'm trying to think, I'll say this. There was some hesitation on the part of the Carr family to go to the same school as Dante, not because they didn't want to compete because you don't go to Notre Dame if you don't want to compete and you don't involve yourself in helping com- recruit Kenny Minchie if you don't want to compete. And that's what CJ did. It was more of, it was a well-known fact that Dante's dad was pushing schools for, if you want my kid, you've got to make this kind of promise. And that was one of the issues with Notre Dame with his dad is Notre Dame would not make that promise. But at the same time, if you're on the other side of this, you're like, well, I don't know that. And I know the Notre Dame coaches are telling me that, but I don't know if they're, if that's true or not. And that was the hesitation. It was a well-known fact that, that the, the, the people around Dante were saying, we want to go somewhere he's going to play as a freshman. 
And I'll be shocked if he's not starting at UCLA by some point in time as freshman year. Maybe they don't start him in the opener just because that's a lot of pressure to put on. I'm a believer that you don't start a freshman in the game one unless you have no choice. Bring him in at some point. We saw what it did for Sam Darnold as a redshirt freshman. We saw how much it helped uh, Trevor Lawrence that he did. He played as a, in the first game, in every game. He just wasn't the starter. Because when you play a freshman and he struggles and then you got to bench him, it's like, ugh. You know, but when you play him a little bit and then he proves himself like he's ready, then you slide him in. It takes a little bit of that pressure off of him, in my opinion. And I think that would be the ideal scenario for Dante at uh, at UCLA. I don't know if you agree with that, Ryan, but that's kind of that's kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah, so. I just I, I I just the quarterback room with what it is. I just don't know if there's anybody that's going to keep him out of the starting lineup day one. Though is my only thing. I mean, they they got the Colin Schley kid from. Kent State, right? It's like, mm-hmm. who's the guy that's holding him back from starting in the first game? That's right. my only thing, you know. Right. I think you're bringing I, a guy ideally. Like ideally, I agree with you though. I would like a kid to be patient. But I, and work but I think that's it. why you bring a kid like that in. That's why I think you bring a kid like that in, Ryan. Is to, hey, you're a placeholder. You're, you're our Kelly Bryant. You know, you're a placeholder until we feel Dante's ready to go. You know, and now what I don't know is what they're. I need to look at their schedule because they they play uh, Coastal Carolina in the opener, then they play at San Diego State, home against NC Central. Oh, why are they playing North Carolina Central? What? Why? And then at airs. Well, then the rest is TBA to be announced. So that's Ooh. their non-conference. But they play at Arizona, at Oregon, at Stanford, at USC, at Utah, and they have Washington State, Colorado, Cal, Arizona State at home. So, you know, to your point, like maybe you bring him off the bench against Coastal and San Diego State, and then hopefully by the third game, he starts. I thought Michigan actually did a really smart job this year when they had the the battle at quarterback Mm -hmm. is they gave the the veteran the first game. Cade McNamara, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and then let the younger guy – no, J.J. McCarthy – Yet let the younger guy kind of come in and and be the next guy in. So there's, you know, maybe a little bit less pressure in, in that instance. That to me made more – I didn't like it, but it made more sense than what like Notre Dame did where like Deshaun Kaiser gets the first series and then yeah. Malik gets the next series. It's just like, well, okay, now if Malik doesn't lead you down on a touchdown drive. Why would you put it back? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it just was an, it was a re, it was a ridiculous thing to do. So. Well, and that's a, that's a pretty daunting uh, away schedule, by the way, for UCLA. A lot of easy games at home, though, next year. So. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get to some more here, Ryan. We got this one from Notre Dame, 2164. Question, with the concerns at defensive line this year, would anybody be surprised to see Brennan Vernon making an impact four to five games into the season? Uh, slightly? I mean, look, man, I, I think that we – this is my opinion based upon what I've seen in person from Brennan down at the all American bowl in San Antonio is that Brennan Vernon, I think is very underrated in the sense that I think there's a lot of people that have this misconception that he's this high floor, low ceiling player. Like I think that people think that I actually think it's a little bit of reverse, man. I think his floor is a little lower than most people think. I think his ceiling is a little higher too. I mean, that kid has some legitimate tools, man. He is six, four plus right around low hair under six, five, Pretty long arms, explosive. I mean, he came into the bowl gate. He came into the All-Star Bowl 20-plus pounds lighter than what he had played during the season. He was about 260 pounds, and he looked explosive, looked long. And you saw during the week, 
there are flashes of understanding what to do, right? Like the double swipe at the top of the arc against uh, Luke Montgomery that's going to Ohio State. Working inside and be able to use that speed to power and maintain balance working through contact. There's a lot of tools to work with with Brendan Vernon. And I think long-term, he's going to be an excellent football player at Notre Dame. But I do think that there's a maturation process that needs to happen. I think he needs to be coached up. I think he needs to be developed. Can't wait to see what Matt Bayless does with him in the in the weight room now that he's lost a little bit of that bad weight on his frame. So I think year two, year three, Brendan Vernon is going to make a big impact for Notre Dame. But year one, I just think that you have to ease that kid along a little bit. Yep. Somebody's really upset that I said I can't believe they're playing NC Central. Here's my issue with that. They're in North Carolina. UCLA's in Los Angeles, right? Like I've said this before. I'm not against playing FCS teams if you're playing it right. Play, play UC Poly, Davis. Play yeah. UC Davis. Play some yeah. in-state program that Sacramento you can State. benefit your in-state program. Exactly. If North Carolina was playing C Central, fine. I don't care, right? I've said this. If Notre Dame's going to play an FCS school, Tennessee State and Youngstown State are the two that make the most sense because of the location and the states you want to recruit. But I don't understand why you're flying a team from North Carolina across the country to come play you. Play Eastern Washington. Play Montana. Play Sam Houston. I mean, Sam Houston State. Play a team like that. Why are you flying a team from across the country to come out and play in the Rose Bowl? That's my issue. That's nothing to do with NC Central. It's my issue with how and who you should be playing in when you're playing an FCS team. So that's my issue. Makes so some, somebody got really upset about that. But yeah, that's my that's my issue with it. And I've expressed that time and time and time and time again when when teams do that. So um like I, I just would love wish- to, I would I would love to see UCLA play a Sacramento State. Like Sacramento State's a sure. really good FCS team now. Like yeah. I would love to see that yeah. game. Yeah. Well, I remember when Washington played Eastern Washington? Didn't they get beat one year I against think by so. Eastern Washington? They they I- did because actually they lost to um they lost to Montana two years ago. Washington lost okay. to Montana like ten to seven or something like that. Yeah. Well, and, and I know that Arizona beat North Dakota State this year, but North Dakota State's like won their last two or three games against against those teams but like here's my thing acc the hbus that are in the southeast and the fcs schools in the southeast should be playing acc and sec schools the big 10 team should be playing there's plenty of of fcs teams in the north mm-hmm. the north dakota state should be playing like the northern big 10 teams and then the bible belt teams right from the big 12 and conferences like that and then the, the schools from texas should be playing fcs schools from texas and oklahoma and schools on the West Coast should be playing West Coast FCS schools. That's my whole point. Because one of the big drivers of an FCS, the only reason an FCS team, in most instances, with the exception of like North Dakota State, teams like that, that they think oh, a win, like James Madison playing, when they were in FCS playing Virginia Tech and Virginia made a lot of sense because, hey, we think we can play with these guys. And if we win, then maybe we can get some some kids to come here that would otherwise maybe go the other place. Yeah. But it's a it's a revenue driver. That's it. Mm-hmm. And so to me, you should be supporting the schools in your region. That's what I think. Because you're going to pay the school X amount of dollars. It's going to cost them a whole lot more to fly out to California than it is going to for them to play in NC State or Clemson or something like that. That's what I can't stand. So, yeah, that's my issue. Let's get to our next one here, Ryan. From Brandon K. Long drive today, so I will drop some mailbag questions now. In spring ball, which positions do you want to see dominating their opponents? For example, wide receiver versus cornerback, offensive line versus defensive line, etc. Which gives you optimism versus concern? 
I mean, I, I think for me, Brian, which ones do I want to see dominate? I want to see the offensive line versus the defensive line be able to dominate early, yeah. but then I want to see it kind of come back the other way, right? Like I think maturation throughout the spring would be a really positive thing for the defensive line because right now offensive line is one of your best returning units, right? You're going to see that team and say, you know, early on in the spring, offensive line is going to do a darn good job against the defensive line, but defensive line hopefully brings that back a little bit. And I, I think similarly with the cornerback versus wide receiver conversation too, like I expect cornerback to have some success early on against the wide receivers, but also I want to see the wide receivers come back. So right. it's not only just, I don't think there's any unit that I necessarily want to just dominate the entire spring though. I want to see struggles early and then development to fight back. You disagree with that? No, no, I agree with that. I'm just trying to think of like which one, which would be one that I want to see. Like, I'm not going to lie. I, w- I want to see <laughs> Sam Hartman just come out and Tyler Buckner just, just rip, come out it. rip people up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, it, like in my mind, it's like, man, if they're ripping it up, like they're doing it against a pretty good defense, but no, Ryan, you, you, as a, as a coach, you never want one unit to just consistently dominate the, the whole other. spring. You, yeah. you never want to see that you want it. And not that they, not that it goes the other way, but this, that, that it just, it becomes a little bit more, we don't get dominated all the time. Sure. And that's what I want to see. So yes, I, if the receivers are coming and, and here's the thing, you don't know what to make of it. If it's not happening, like if the receivers are coming out, ripping up the secondary, you have two thoughts. Number one is are the, are the secondary guys not improving. That's the first thought or the other one was, boy, these receivers are getting a lot better. And, yeah. But you don't know which one it is, and that's the thing that, that that's really difficult about coaching in college football. Now we we at, D, at the Division three level, now we didn't have this at the one AA level. We 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 couldn't like have we didn't have a scrimmage, but at the Division three level, we could scrimmage. You get one scrimmage, so you at least had some semblance of okay, here here's where we are against another team. But the Division one level, it's it's you don't get that you don't get that that scrimmage opportunity to kind of. Go against other teams. That's why I've said I've always advocated for. I would love to see teams start to be allowed to have. I would add an extra week onto spring ball or onto fall camp. I'd I'd, I'd incorporate more off days into that because, like, I I want to see I want to see designed off days in camp like you have during the season. I think that's needed for players because not every coach is going to be responsible with giving kids enough downtime that they need. So I'd like to see it extended a little bit longer, more time in between, but then use part of that to give like a three day. You guys can kind of, you know, one school can go on the other school's campus or you guys can like meet up. Like let's say Notre Dame and Purdue wanted to meet at Culver for three days or something like that. Like, yeah, you practice on one field, we'll practice on another field, but then we come together for some, when we go seven on seven, when we go team, when we go red zone, we're going against each other. Right. And we'll kind of look kind of like what they do together. during all-star game weeks. Right. Sometimes, right. During right. Practice. Yeah. Right. right. Like yep. I think the NFL does some of this stuff. I don't know if they it's do. the same format, but like, you know, where you're not going in, I mean, you're doing individual by yourself and there's certain things you do together. You do special teams by yourselves because you don't need to be banging on special teams in fall camp, in my opinion. But Agreed. then there's other things that you do to, together as maybe you do that, like maybe two weeks before the game, first game, you know, and then after that, OK, now it's time to dive into prep for our first game. I wish college football would do something like that, to be honest with you. I think it'd be better for kids. I think it'd be better for teams. It would it would really help out.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.